0: listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement.
1: You are listening to Windy City Slam, Chicago Land Wrestling. And we also cover the national stuff. we got one of the best, Mike Pankow, joining me here in just a moment. We've got lots to cover today. A big pay-per-view to just happen, a few sad deaths, and then one of the most gut-wrenching things I've watched on television in about 45 minutes, and that's the... The Owen Hart story last night, Uh, that was was a something. We're going to get into all of it in a half hour here. The phone lines are open. You can just call in on the Podbean app live if you're listening live. If you're on demand, which comes out every Tuesday, everywhere podcasts can be found and always at WindyCitySlam.com, then you can't call in. There's also a chat room here for the live folks. We're ready to go. You're listening to Windy City Slam. Let's go.
0: Mike, how are you? I'm hanging in there, Chris. Yeah, all right. Yeah, a little bit of a rough weekend, but uh, it's a new week. It's Memorial Day week, so let's let's, let's get let's get
1: going. I know you were wait you're you were out in the middle of all the storms out there, just to the west of Chicago, and yes. uh, very very crazy stuff out there. And you were telling me beforehand, your black looks like a war zone and I'm glad that you guys are at least safe because uh, I know they had a few. Uh, well, if it wasn't a twister, or some near ones that were out there and they mm-hmm. went through south of Chicago in the suburbs. And uh, so I'm happy you guys are doing good. Unfortunately, not such good news for a few uh, families of wrestlers out there, yeah. uh, but they're piling up and it's a, it's a shame. I feel like we start off every show with it. But, uh, yeah, but, but go, go ahead and jump into the big one here because uh, I was reading all about Shad.
0: Yeah, Shad Gaspard uh, about a week ago, former WWE superstar, passed away at 39. Uh, he was swimming with his 10-year-old son in Venice Beach, California. When a tide overtook him and ended up getting carried off to sea and ended up drowning, his body did eventually um, kind of come back to land and people fought it. So there was at least a little closure there. But Shad was part of Crime Time a little over a decade ago. His tag team partner was JTG. They had a run for about maybe three to four years as a team. They kind of broke up toward the end of their run. Shad got released, and JTG stayed for a little while afterward. Shad seemed like he was a pretty good dude in the ring. He had a lot of potential. I. I, I Really surprised WWE didn't do more with him. I mean, we've been saying that about a lot of guys in
1: WWE. Like, if you think about him, I mean, like, forget the WWE career. The guy broke up, if I'm not mistaken, a robbery at one point. Yes. And then robbery right for- And then you yeah. hear the the eyewitness account not only from those that saved his son out there, but from his son, who basically he knew it was gonna be him or the kid. And he tells the, he tells the boy, I think he said it was, I think it was a 10 year old boy. I mean, I pictured my kids. Yeah, so, I mean, son, yes. yeah. My, my, I got one at 12 and you know, he, he sits there and he knows in a riptide and he isn't going to make it. And he makes the kid push off of him and he probably pushes himself deeper into the water mm-hmm. away from the rescue to get that kid to the boat and to the, to the, to the rescue and saves his son. And it's just yeah. a gut wrenching thing. But I mean, wrestling aside, I mean, there, there's a straight-up hero right there, and, um, yes. you know, it's a, it's, it's a tragedy, but uh, it's also an amazing story to hear.
0: Yeah, I feel really bad for his family and his son, but, yeah, it was a really heroic way um, to go. I mean, it's, uh, it broke my heart when I heard it because I, I always liked him. Uh, I Like I said, I thought he had great potential. He turned to acting the last few years, and uh, he was kind of a pretty successful run doing that uh, in smaller roles in some films. And um, even there was a um, what do you call one of those uh, fundraising things online where a friend of the family wanted to uh, raise money for, for you know funeral expenses and take care of the family for a while. And supposedly John Cena was an anonymous donor. And gave like forty thousand dollars or something like that.
1: He's got it. So that's good. It's a nice yeah, thing. So pe- it's a very nice thing to yeah, so do. Pe-
0: so people rip um, rip on John Cena all the time, but uh, apparently he did a really really nice thing here. And outside the ring, he's always been a good guy. Good guy. So uh, thumbs up to John Cena for doing that. And then uh, rest in peace, Chad And then also another really sad thing that kind of hit a little close to home: Hana Kimura, twenty-two-year-old Japanese women wrestler, committed suicide last week because she was a victim of cyberbullying, you know, on social media. And this is a problem not only in wrestling, but in all walks of life. Uh, I personally was bullied in grammar school and in high school. It's no joke. It, it really sucks. It, it kind of pisses me off that it, it takes to this level and, and people die, uh, and commit suicide and do self-harm to themselves because of a few other stupid people. And it, it's disgusting. And I feel really bad for her and a lot of her, um, Japanese um, wrestling friends. Um, I think Kyrie Sane uh, from WWE noticed some of the uh, bad tweets she was putting out and tried to notify some people. Unfortunately, she was too late, and it was a really, really sad situation there as well. Um,
1: that is a shame. I will tell you this: as somebody that spent a lot of time in in broadcast radio, and you know, I mean, we I, I had my rough moments too when I was coming up in grammar school. I think a lot of us have been bullied at some point in our life. But I had to get used to the idea that I would get like a lot of people would send me very nasty stuff like in the mail. Like when I was oh, yeah. on the, when I was on the radio, like they didn't like something about me or they just wanted to take a shot. People would sit down and write an actual letter, put a stamp on it, walk it down yeah. and drop it in the mailbox. You know, with this Twitter and the, the, the fact that you can go online now, it, I'm going to tell you something right now. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even look at my social media accounts. I would have mm-hmm. somebody else run my account or I would just turn it off if I was taking crap because uh, you cannot let the opinions of these complete strangers that are nothing but bullies get to you. And it's a shame that that happened. And, uh, G- um, keyboard
0: warriors. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. All right. So let's, let's jump into the good stuff now because we had yeah. an AEW pay-per-view last night and I want to get to it. So what was your takeaway, uh, from double or
0: nothing? So Saturday night, AEW had a show, didn't watch until Sunday night because of my power outages at my residence. But um, it was a great show. Uh, they did a really good job, c- closed the um, closed location. They ran the show at what was called Daly's Place, which is attached to TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville. And actually, they, they also used the football stadium there, which, you know, because the owners of, the owner of AEWs are also part of the ownership of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So they had all this great land they can use. And so the main event... Was this a stadium stampede match at the on the Jaguars field? <laughs> it was pretty, pretty funny, pretty cool. The inner circle, so we had Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, and Santana Ortiz, against the elite members of Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, The Young Bucks, and Matt Hardy. Five on five, just a total brawl. Did one side? Did one side wear football uniforms? Yes, the inner circle came out with football That's uniforms. That's awesome. With numbers they kind of were like, you know, denoted you know important things in their life. Like for instance, Jericho wore twenty-seven in honor of his father's hockey number, who you know, his father Tedder Vine played his NHL years ago. So that's kind of a cool little touch. They came out they like you know, they had the whole like, you know, entrance thing down the football tunnel with like Pyro and fire just jumping up and down, then they had the Jaguars cheerleaders out there, they had the Jaguars mascot out there who uh took a blow from Chris Jericho during the match. It's amazing. Yeah, so here's the, the thing. Now, the ring was at midfield, and falls counted anywhere in the stadium, so they can even go up into the stands and in the concourse, into the um, you know the concourse way where there were concessions and a bar and everything like that. Of course, the, the elite come out. Hangman was fashionably late, comes out on his horse, chases Sammy Guevara into the tunnel, which was pretty funny. There are a couple of other pretty um, interesting little um, takes. There's actually a little club level at the stadium. Matt Hardy was fighting Santana and Ortiz. There is a pool in the club area. So they, they throw the, the two members of the inner circle, Santana and Ortiz, throw Hardy into the pool, and then they like, do the, almost look like a drowning thing, which disturbs some people considering the shad Gaspar part. That right. That was a
1: little, that's a that's not very good timing. Like, yeah, you know,
0: it's like the only iffy thing about that. whole. Yeah, match. it's not good but, timing.
1: I mean, it, it actually, is a different it's a different organization, but it is in the world of wrestling, you know, and yeah. it just, it, it just, it, it, it's just it's just that's some rough timing on that one right there.
0: Yeah, but at least with what happened there, there was a little precedent with Matt Hardy because he had those matches and segments at the Hardy compound, both in Impact and in WWE, where he had this lake called the Lake of Reincarnation. So he would go into that lake and his character would transform. So his his character was transforming while he was dumped under the water in the pool. Okay. Like classic Matt Hardy or V1 Matt Hardy or even or back to his current uh, character. So it was kind of a really hokey goofy little thing that was kind of thrown in the middle of this batch. And then um, Adam Hangman Page found the bar. Jay Caker found him and then Hager took Hangman, like the old famous westerns, just spread him across the bar, wiped up all the cops and all the food off the bar. <laughs> like one of those old Western, like black and white scenes that you would see, like he would like do a guffaw at, ha, <laughs> ha, And then uh, one guy powerbombed another guy into a pool table. I mean, it was crazy. And then um, there was another funny spot too with Chris Jericho like a red challenge flag
1: for what he thought was a three out. That's
0: amazing. So one of the referees goes into the tunnel.
1: It was such a goofy premise. <laughs> like think about it. Like how ridiculous. And yeah. this is the one thing that's come out of the whole pandemic, is that they have to find a way to make things entertaining. You just can't have yeah. straight up matches. Like you can throw a few straight up matches in, but the I mean think about it with 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 um, uh, Money in the Bank. Uh, WWE had to get goofy. I mean, that was, that was, and that was all we we talked about. They had other great matches, but that's all we talked about because, uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest, uh, there are the wrestling purists. I mean, you're a wrestling purist, Mike. I'm not. Okay. I enjoy, I enjoy pro wrestling. (laughs) I know my history about some of the pro wrestling, but you, you got everything, you know it all. And, and, and sometimes like, I'm not, I didn't even watch the AEW event to be honest with you. I was like I don't even know how I'm supposed to watch it. I've gotten so used to just putting things on WWE Network, you know? Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to have to pay for a pay-per-view?" I'm like, I, "I'm not doing that." <laughs> like, you know, what I mean, like I I'm like, oh, really?" No, nah, I just wait for Mike to tell me about it because there's no <laughs> like first of all, there's no crowd and and it just doesn't feel the same, but they have to do these crazy things and that's that's a really cool segment, but I'm just going to I'm going to wait for somebody to put it like out on YouTube illegally and I'll I'll get a look at it eventually. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, we'll get back to the crowd in a minute because obviously there really wasn't much of a crowd, but there was a little bit of a crowd, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. The, the finish of the stadium stampede match was Kenny Omega hitting a one-wing angel, jumping off like a, a, a table where there was a camera in the stands through a gimmicked stage, probably like 10, 15 feet, got the three count. So the, the, elite, uh, the elite win the match, they celebrate with fireworks going on behind them within the stadium. It's kind of a cool, cool effect, cool picture when when they went off the air. It was them celebrating with the big scoreboard in the background, fireworks going off. Really, really cool match. The rest of the card happened before that at the Daily's place, which is attached to the football stadium. It's like a little concert venue. That's where they've done some of their other TV tapings as well. And um, the fans, the crowd there, were basically extra wrestlers who didn't wrestle on the show, crew members, a couple of other family and friends, and even Vicky Guerrero, who was there, which is like, she's kind of been hanging around AEW a little bit herself. But the one real observation I made during all the matches, Big Swole, who is the wife of WWE Cedric Alexander, and she wrestles in the women's division um, for AEW, she was one of the really, really loud fans, and anytime I hear would come close to her on the outside, she would give it to that heel. I mean potty mouth, it was really boisterous. I thought it added a lot of um, coolness to a lot of the different matches. They're like, man, who the heck is that swearing and talking? And they finally saw who it was. Oh Big Swole. Yeah, well, wow. you know and that's the other thing is that we <laughs> we noticed for a while
1: that they were unable to even have the wrestlers get out there because of the yeah. restrictions and now some of the restrictions have been lifted.
0: Especially and they can go back to yeah.
1: doing, yeah, especially in Florida, and they can go back to doing more things on camera. So, and I think that'll add a little bit to the presentation, especially for AEW.
0: Yeah, WWE hasn't only really caught on to that whole quote of extra interaction like AEW has. That's the one thing I think AEW actually has to step ahead on WWE in terms of those TV shows that are kind of close set. But back to the show real quick the casino ladder match, um, this was kind of. Um, A really, really cool concept and some big news coming out of this match. First of all, it's kind of a Royal Rumble-style match. There are nine guys booked for the match, and the order, you know, is two guys start, and then every two minutes or so, another competitor would come out. And the goal is climb the ladder, get the poker chip that's hanging from the rafters. So basically... The match could end before the third guy could even come in the ring. So, for instance, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky were the first two guys in the ring. They could have gone up, and gotten the chip, and the other seven guys would have been um, would have been screwed. Oh, thanks for coming. Uh, sorry, yeah. That, I like that element to the match because it could end at any time, and and then you still had like the element of surprise. Uh, who's next? Who's going to come in? So basically we got to all nine guys. No one could get the chip before the ninth guy. Yeah, but
1: think about that. Before you finish that, think about that because that strikes me as amazing because what a great concept. Imagine down the line anybody could use that and you have a star that actually isn't able to go but he's got a name, like somebody who's hurt or that you Mm -hmm. really don't want to use in a storyline and you have them scheduled to come in late. They never even get a chance. Like, mm-hmm. you, you could do so could much do that, with it. Yes. I want to see that concept come back and a, and a match actually end with certain people unable to come out there. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: That would be interesting. So, basically, I'll run on who was in the match real quick. It was Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, Luchasaurus, Chicago's Colt Cabana, Orange Cassidy, everybody's favorite slacker, Kip Sabian, Joey Janela, and Darby Allen with the eight. The mystery man was ninth. He came out last, of course. We hear all of us, and we hear a voice over the PA. It sounded like Taz, and it, it was Taz. And who comes out? Former Warrior Wrestling Champion and Impact Wrestling Champion Brian Cage, the machine. There you go. So Brian Cage recovered from his bicep injury. He's back. There was one point in the match where all the eight other guys kind of teamed up on him and threw a bunch of pop, pile of tables and everything on him on the outside. Eventually, he kind of came back out of the pile like the Terminator, uh, ended up you know kind of recovering and he was the one that climbed the ladder to win the match so he's the number one contender now or actually he gets a shot at the aew championship so ryan cage makes aew debut and already he's at the top of the card
1: well they obviously have plans for that guy that there's plans right there or it was you know they want to keep the the belt on moxley for a while Mm -hmm. you know and they're like like, who do you want to wrestle he's like "I'll, i'll wrestle cage You know, but I mean, like it it could be something like, well, get somebody in there, make it a storyline. You know, he's, he still loses, but it's like a good introduction into the company. So it could be something along those lines as well.
0: All right. Yeah. So Moxie retained the AEW world championship, beating Brody Lee in a crazy brawl, all kinds of stuff. Moxie hits a paradigm shift through a gimmick table or rather the wooden ramp way, I should say, which was gimmicked. Hit two more paradigm shift DVTs in the ring before winning the match. I want to mention the TNT Championship match, too. Cody won that title as the inaugural champion. He defeated Lance Archer in the tournament final. Mike Tyson was there, actually. The WWE Hall of Famer presented the title to Cody after the match. He didn't get as physical in this match as he did in the famous Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin match at WrestleMania 14. But, um, yeah, it was kind of a fun little thing. So MJF pinned Jungle Boy, Chris Statlander pinned Penelope Ford, replaced an injured Dr. Britt Baker, which I'm kind of bummed about. Dustin Rhodes came back to beat Sean Spears. Carl Sheeta defeated Nyla Rose in a pretty good women's match to become the women's champion. And in the pre-show, the Best Friends defeated Private Party to become the number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships, which maybe people may forget are being held by Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. So let's get to Owen Hart and Dark Side of the Ring.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that, you know... I'm watching dark side of the ring last night. Like here, here's this, I'll give you the, I'll I'll just set the scene for you. I have my wife who doesn't watch wrestling. Like I'll be honest with you. She just doesn't like it. She thinks that she thinks it's stupid. She just doesn't like it. All right. She's not Mm -hmm. interested in it. She has no idea who Owen Hart is. We're hanging out on the patio. I'm like, sweetheart, I want to watch it before I watch We do the, we do the podcast tomorrow. So I'm going to go inside and watch it. She's like, I'll sit there with you. And I'm like, all right. And she's like, I'll probably fall asleep. That's what she tells me. 45 minutes later at the end of the thing, she's got tears in her eyes. She's amazed by the entire story and was captivated for 45 minutes about what happened. Like I when when, when his, his wife, you know, talks about how she gets the news. My, my wife is crying on the couch when it, when that, when that was going on, the whole story of Owen Hart and how he falls to his death, how he yells out before he gets to the ground, look out. He almost hits the referee. The distance that he goes, the idea that they really knew he was dead very early on in that. And Jim Ross is just trying to to kind of vamp until he knows for sure. And that Lawler comes back and he looks white as a ghost. And when you hear the behind the scenes stuff, You really kind of get that scene a little bit more than when it happened. I remember when it happened. I remember watching that pay-per-view. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that pay-per-view. And I and and then what happened with the idea of like how they continued the match, like I was always the way I always remembered, even though I know they announced it during the the show, I always kind of felt like, well, you know, they, they didn't really realize that he was that bad or that he had died until it was well too late and they had already they had already done like multiple matches. But now it seems like as I'm watching, I'm like, how do you continue to match? Like, she made a good point. Like, is this a murder scene? Why wasn't the match stopped? Why didn't the police step in? And why didn't everybody take a look at what was going on right then and there? It really paints Vince, Vince McMahon into a monster. And it really reminds you of sometimes how how ugly he can be for all the accolades that people give him, how much they love Vince. Okay, how ugly he can get at some points. He knew, you can tell. He knew that Owen Hart was dead, and he just kept going. And that was a bad look, and there's a reason why no WWE employee was on during that that, that thing last night. That was very interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, Dark Side of the Ring itself, it's a great series. Um, I mean, this is the end of the second season, so they've had a lot of great uh, documentaries. Chris Benoit was also covered this season, too. So that was another heart-wrenching episode. But yeah, the, the this series really doesn't make Vince look like a good guy, and I'm sure he's not a big fan of the series. Uh, and the chilling thing for me was Martha Hart showing the lash release hook, which gives way basically after six pounds of pressure. Yeah, John Hart's 220 to 240 pounds. Right, and this is a hook that's used with sailboats in the water. So I mean, how how can you think something's not going to go wrong with this?
1: And they didn't use and they didn't use the rigging crew that they had always used before. They cheaped out. They did it last minute. They asked for him to get his fitting over the phone for for what his harness was going to be. They 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 didn't use the group that they always used for him. They and she's able and they're able to show like all the other times he would come down on that harness and it was a completely different set. You could see it. So I mean, it, there's no argument that could be had from the other side. You know who else it really makes look bad, and it doesn't really jump into it too much because it's just a sideways thing where she sits there and talks about how members of the family. Didn't they wanted to keep their wrestling careers going? So they were upset with her, and they were stealing things and trying to give them to the lawyers for WWE and doing everything they can to keep the Hart family in line. It really makes Bret Hart look bad because if you look back at interviews, he really has ripped her apart. Like she lives in a fantasy world, and it makes Bret Hart looks like a he looks like a scumbag right next to the guy who he spit on after the Montreal Screwjob, Vince McMahon. It really paints him in a bad way. They don't do it that much. They I mean like that's the thing. They don't they don't really come out on Brett. They actually they actually paint him as like he's hugging her and he brings her in when he's dead and everything else like that and he's like supportive. But when you look at interviews he's given in the last few years about the thing, you can tell he was one of the guys that didn't support her and his brother essentially because it might have affected his wrestling career. He comes out of this looking bad too, if you know the background of that.
0: Yeah, it's really sad, really. I mean, I, I, he could have still supported his family while at the same time doing other things to make sure he was safe in the business. But, but if you remember at this point, 1999, May of 1999, he was in WCW. This was maybe uh, 16, 17, 18 months after the Montreal Screwjob. That's right. So Owen was the only guy in the family left in WWE at this point. Nightheart had left, too. Davey Boy had left, too, to go to WCW. So Owen was kind of like the last man standing. And um, the thing that really strikes me about the tragedy is it was totally unnecessary. I mean, the blue blazer was a, kind of a, a goofy character in the first place. I mean, they could have done this whole thing without the whole unsafe repelling from the ceiling thing. I mean, it, totally unnecessary.
1: I said it to Erica. We were sitting there and she's watching it and she's like, she's like, was he good? I said he was a good wrestler. I said, but that I match, that match was going to be a squash match. The Godfather was going to come down with the hoe train. They were all going (laughs) to dance around. Then Owen Hart was going to come in with this ridiculous thing. The Godfather was probably going to beat him in about three minutes. And the hoes were all going to dance over him while he laid in the middle of the ring. So he died, not in a major match, not going and doing something amazing. He died on a gimmick match come up from come up by, by Vince McMahon at the last minute, and they cheaped out on the rigging for a throwaway match that goes in between probably two good matches at that pay-per-view. And, and that's what all that also kinda has to drive you nuts. And and back to the Bret Hart thing, you're right. None of them are in there. So why is it that the family isn't angrier at Vince McMahon and all supporting the, and all supporting the lawsuit that that's the other thing that's really shocking. You know, you always thought maybe she was loony or maybe she was just upset because her husband died. Right. But then you see that clip you You see what he was, right. You see that, you see that thing that's that he was hanging from and you get the full story and you're like, Whoa, she wasn't, she was actually right. She was very measured in what she did and, you know, it, it, it was it was rough to watch, but I'm glad that the story's out in full because you really never got the full story till then. I felt like that was mm-hmm. the first time I really heard the whole thing. Yeah.
0: I feel a little bad for Martha. You know, I, I for a while, I'm like, I know she's bitter and she has the right to be, but, you know, why, why, why? But yeah, reading more materials about it, watching this documentary, I feel bad for Martha. I feel bad for Oge, who's the son, Oge right. Athena, the daughter. Right. And that whole family they grew up basically most of their childhood without their father after this. And it was really, really sad. Well, and I like I like
1: the idea that they also decided now I get it. I get why he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. I get why she won't let him. You know, yeah, the, the, the idea that this is in. there yeah. isn't even a building for this. This is just a promotional stunt so they can make money. That's what she said. Yep. You know, and I was That's reading people it
0: been saying for years. Yeah, right.
1: And, she, and the, I get it now. I get why she's like, no, you're not putting him in. I, I i completely understand and i hope they hold. i hope they stick to their guns i hope they really do because you know what i get her point and that you know what that's her husband and what what the family wants is far more important than what any wrestling fan wants
0: yeah especially the immediate family yeah the immediate family martha and the kids right going back to the match for a second too actually what's for the intercontinental title godfather was the intercontinental champion and the talk was, and I'm not sure if this was a hundred percent true that Owen or the blue blazer was booked to win the title that night really? after a little bit of a crazy match. Yeah. He, that was, that's, that's what I've heard over the years That Owen was going to get, uh, get the strap and then they're going to have him as the blazer with the intercontinental title. I, the blue blazer gimmick was kind of, a, a like a funny takeoff on the old Hulk Hogan, uh, character from the eighties. Like, uh, um, take your vitamins and he, 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 would, he would like have his own twist, drink your milk. Right. I, mean, I thought that was kind of a funny little thing to the character too. Owen Hart was a great tactician in the ring. I mean, I think at the end of the day he would have been the best of that family in terms of talent. He would have surpassed Brett too, I think. I mean, I, he, had, he was that good in my opinion.
1: But here's the thing about him is that I remember my feeling when he died. And I was doing morning radio at the time. I was doing morning rock radio in Champaign, Illinois. All right. I had a number one show in town there and we covered a lot of stuff. I mean, we did a lot more talk than we did songs and we had a lot of news of the day and a lot of things that we were doing. And I remember that we did our wrestling segment. I know that we talked about it. I know we spent extra time on it, but I also remember that my feeling was, and I'll admit it is that, you know, Owen Hart, I mean, he really, it wasn't like the rock fell, you know, it wasn't, Ooh. I mean, he was, his career really never got going to match his skill level, which is a real shame. But, I mean, that's the thing, though. He was, like, I never thought of it as, wow, there's a guy who went out at the top of his game because WWE wasn't really using him very well
0: either, and that was the problem. I mean, he had been in better stuff even before that, and he was kind of, like, languishing a little bit in the mid-card. But I would have thought at some point, early 2000s after that, where some guys came in like Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Edge and Christian. If he had been around for some of those guys coming in, those have been some amazing matches. And I think that would have elevated him as well. But yeah, the whole thing was sad, and it kind of killed a great career. And my own personal experience, too. I actually, in 2004, back earlier in my journalism career and one of my other roles, I covered UIC Flames basketball. And they won the NCAA tournament in 2004. Matched up with Kansas in the first round. And amazingly enough, ironically enough, the first game of the tournament was at Arena in Kansas City. So I did a day trip out there, flew out there for the game. And, and before the game, I look up in the ceiling and got chills just thinking about Owen Hart. That was yeah. where he was, and that's where he dropped down from.
1: I was, I, mean, I, I was just taken aback by the fact that right after their father died, that she brought the kids with her to Kansas City? And she actually brought him on the catwalk where their father was dead and the blood was on the mat. I thought that was a little weird. Like, I don't know if I could have done that. Now, she's grieving at the time, but I was like, wow. Mm -hmm. But in in the end, it was like she was trying to make sure that it wasn't like just like they heard on the phone their dad was dead and they had no idea Mm -hmm. what had happened. So, I mean, like that was what her reasoning was, but that was also mm -hmm. just like a, a striking thing to hear about was that like, you know, she like WWE moved on to the next town, right? And she Mm -hmm. has to she flies out to Kansas City and has to get answers herself because she immediately isn't getting anything from the company. And Mm -hmm. so she has to go talk to the police and she goes and does all this stuff. I mean, like right from the very beginning, it was like the show must go on. Sorry, your husband's dead. Vince knows he's dead and calls her up, but doesn't have it doesn't have it in him to say anything to her. Like here, like that's the way it was portrayed that he already knew he was dead when he talked to him. Yeah. Either that's bad editing or that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, God, he comes across so bad. I mean, it's like, you're just like, you know, Vince McMahon, not a good guy. You know, I mean, that, that, that's what you get when you watch that thing. <laughs> Vince McMahon, and, and, not and, and, and a good another,
0: guy. Another thing that I just thought of now. Okay. So the Undertaker documentary is on WWE network and now another great documentary, by the way, which we'll get into at some point in the future. But one of the things that was brought up, uh, uh, there was a mania. I believe it was after, the, um, I can't remember which Undertaker match it was. It might have been the one at 30 where he lost to Brock. He was taken to a hospital, and supposedly Vince gets in a car, Brock's in the car with Vince. They go to the hospital during the show. The show's still going on. Vince leaves the show to go check on Undertaker. It's like, this is an interesting side to Vince McMahon. But at the same time, I think back to the Owen Hart thing. Like, you know, he doesn't stop the show. The show goes on. It's almost like there was a lack of concern for Owen. But yet here he goes, following Undertaker on. I mean, I doubt that he stopped that show either. But at the same time, you know.
1: He either valued one more than the other one or he learned a terrible lesson about himself and matured. You know, it has been 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, he did the wrong thing there. And maybe he's embarrassed about what he did. Maybe he realized what he did was wrong, and he's just one of those guys that just can't admit it, you know, which is another fault. I think that he that's has to, true. Which is another fault that he has to get over. See, that's the thing. Yeah, you, I, you have I, to, I you have to learn to apologize that, yeah. when you screw up things like that, and mm-hmm. he hasn't done enough to come out and admit his mistakes. And if he did learn compassion, and he did learn that he screwed up that other thing, and he did learn, I mean, look at it. Look at the guys that were around when it happened, who are no longer with WWE. The ref isn't there anymore. Uh, Jim yeah, Ross is gone. gone. He yep. was involved in the yep. entire thing. Like a lot of people, like they might not have left the next day, but when other opportunities opened up for them, they had no loyalty to WWE because they witnessed firsthand, like how little loyalty Vince McMahon had to somebody when he died in the middle of a ring. You know, that must have stuck with them in some way. I kept thinking of that. It wasn't like there were too many people that they couldn't talk to. No, pretty much everybody was there Mm -hmm. because they weren't working for WWE anymore. I found that to be very interesting as well. So, yeah, yeah, really interesting thing. If you if you if you if you you haven't seen Dark Side of the Ring, it's totally worth it. I know you can actually buy every episode or just get the season as a bulk on Amazon Mm -hmm. Prime. I actually just purchased the episode because I missed it when it originally aired. So I just mm-hmm. I just I just bought the thing for a buck 99 but there's a lot of different ways for you to get it. So go check it out if you haven't seen it yet and this show is going to be on demand starting on Tuesday morning and we will be back live next week but we'll be back on Tuesday live next week because I have promised these kids um, well, something to kind of take their mind off of everything they've gone through over the last couple of weeks, and I got an eighth grader that had to do a graduation driving around in a car the other day, and they need a break, so yeah. I've got weekend plans next week for a little bit, and we're just going to push back the show one day, so bear with us. We'll be back next Tuesday. Mike, good job. I'll see you next week. Okay, bud? All right.
0: Good deal, Chris. That's All right.
1: It. This is Windy City Slam. We will see you next week. Found everywhere podcasts can be found, and always at WindyCitySlam.com. This is
0: Cause my name